Lucifer Podcast is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. For all things comics, movies, media, music, and more, check out the Cage Club Network. That's cageclub.me. Just like the X-Men, the Fantastic Four are a family. But what happens when some of the people want to leave the family? And what happens when other people get left out? The Secret Social Council of Krakoa take a look at who's not really there, as well as who's trying to find their way home in an all-new We Are Krakoa. I'm Nico. I'm Dylan. I'm Kyle. I'm Regina. And I'm Jonah, and we hope you survived the experience, hopefully like the Marauders cast who suddenly kidnapped Franklin. Oh my god, so much happened this week, but I kind of feel like nothing happened this week. But before we can get into any of that, I feel like this was the news week to end all news weeks. There were more goings on with Krakoa shipping updates than I think the Hellfire Trading Company has to deal with on a weekly basis. Dylan, I think you're going to kick us off with some crazy shipping updates. Correct. This past week it was announced that the giant-sized X-Men Magneto issue is going to be postponed for eight weeks. It was originally solicited for March 5th, but now it's going to be published on April 29th. But to take its spot, the originally solicited April 11th giant size X-Men Nightcrawler will now be coming out at the end of March on March 25th. Okay, so it sounds like Magneto got repelled further down the list while Nightcrawler bamfed his way a little bit up the schedule. Jonah, that's like your duo of dudes. How do you feel about that swip swap on your guys? Well, I'm just happy because I get to see Nightcrawler faster. I don't think anybody's clamoring specifically like, oh, damn, I really need to see Magneto more. Not like you can't just open up any of the current X books and just point to a random page and he's probably on it somewhere. Or hiding in the shadows. Like, you know, he's very, I, I feel like Magneto is somewhere in the shadows. Like every issue along with Moira. I thought you were going to say somewhere over the rainbow. I do. I think Magneto is very somewhere over the rainbow here on Oz Noir. <laughs> <laughs> Magneto would be the Tin Man. Gene is Dorothy. Regina, I know you are like an old school art stan from hanging out over in House of X and getting to appreciate your awesome taste in art. I'm excited to see Alan Davis return to Nightcrawler. I feel like that's a really cool move. And I feel like when we were talking about it in the group chat, we'd mentioned that like Hound Rachel is on the cover. Are you excited for the throwback to classic Davis? I love Alan Davis. I thought his Excalibur run was amazing. It's still to this day, I feel like if you go back and read those earlier works it stands the test of time his style is so unique it's so clear and it's so unique you know anytime that you're looking at some of his work you know exactly who made it so yes i am thrilled to see him coming back I agree. He has a, a shape, dimension, size, like a muscularity that can't be aped, that still allows for women to be feminine, gentle, and express themselves in complex ways. Kyle, you know, this Magneto pushback and this Nightcrawler push-up, I have to imagine this is reflective of your desires for the inner workings of Krakoa. More good guys, less bad guys. <laughs> 
What do you think about seeing the Magneto giant size pushed back two months? I'm okay with it. I hope that it gives them a little extra time to make sure that it's extra Magneto-y, I guess. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I wouldn't exactly say that right now Magneto is a bad guy, so I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to seeing it. And speaking of not quite bad guys, Dylan, I feel like that's not the only giant size news we have. Also this week, we learned that another issue of Hickman's giant size comics that will be coming out in May is going to be showcasing Phantom X, and it's going to have the art from New Mutants artist Rod Rice. Okay, like I'm a huge Phantom X fan, right? I love him. I think he's so great, but I kind of feel like there was that list of Hickman's favorite characters that we thought early on was probably going to kind of dominate the giant size x-men issues and here we are four in what it's gene and emma with like special guest star storm it's magneto it's nightcrawler now it's phantom x i can't help but notice early standout monet is still missing generally from this lineup dylan that's got to be driving you nuts (laughs) it is driving me crazy why why not give monet some more time why showcase her in house of x and then have her be in one panel of New Mutants, and then we never see her again. It's got to be making it more difficult for people like Kyle and Jonah, who don't have as much experience with the character. It's got to make it a little bit harder figuring out how they fit in this new world order. Well, I mean, I've really only experienced Monet in A House of X, so I really don't know anything about her. She's perfect. That's all. When we first started the Dawn of X, I said I was going to come after Nico and Dylan's status as the biggest Monet fans because I really enjoyed her first appearance. And then she hasn't been seen. And I was talking about it with Dylan. The list that Hickman gave out saying who his favorite X-Men are, his top three are getting wondrous grateful things and we love his top three. His combination of fifth place for Bobby and Sam are off to do great things. Bobby's getting some really great screen time that I've been a fan of, but where's his number four Monet? She's literally not been seen except for one page in New Mutants. That very much confuses me. If you're going to go on record stating that someone's your favorite character, that kind of implies that you'll be using them. The only thing I can figure is that she's so perfect, he can't figure out how to work her into the story in a way that's compelling, but I know he's got it in him. Regina, you took the words right out of my mouth. The fear might be it's difficult to write such an OP character. You know, someone so overpowered can be really tricky to work with. But I'm sorry, Jean is, she's not overpowered because I feel this is within the limits that have been set for her previously. But I definitely do think Jean is hitting some upper echelons of power that we have not seen from her outside of a certain flaming chicky nuggy. <laughs> so I'm feeling kind of like if you're concerned she's overpowered, maybe downplay Jean's power a little bit to make a little bit more room for Monet. There has to be room for that many strong dynamic women at the table. I just don't accept that there isn't. Speaking of strong dynamic people at the table, I'm pretty sure somebody's nestling back up to the table at Krakoa. Another bit of news that came out this week is that Juggernaut is going to get a mini-series starting this May. He's going to get a five-issue mini-series and the creative team on this book is going to be Fabian Nicieza and Ron Garney. The Oh my god, Ron 
Garney, seriously? Ron Garney drawing Juggernaut is the fucking dream. The story is going to be Kane trying to figure out what he is in this new world. Juggernaut has always been associated with the mutants, but he's not a mutant. So is he welcome on Krakoa? Is he not? Actually, I'm not a Juggernaut fan, but this story sounds interesting. I am very much a Juggernaut fan, and I think this is in line with what we need for that character to move forward. I believe I read something about he's getting a new sidekick, and I will forever be bitter that they took away his first sidekick. So I don't know that after the emotional devastation of Sam Pare, I am specifically eager to engage with Juggernaut getting a new sidekick, but I'm willing to trust Fabian Nicieza. He's been in the industry for a trillion years years and you know he's taken me from a not fan to a huge fan of a number of characters i'm kind of meh about it i could go either way at this point i don't know enough about this Kane guy except for that he's maybe boyfriends with black tom who knows so am i clamoring for this no am i upset by it no do i have no real feelings on this (laughs) yes <laughs> so that's a uh, meth from Kyle and a whole lot of meth from Jonah. <laughs> Am I the only one on this happy boat for the Juggy? I'm happy, even though I said I don't necessarily care for him. I feel like every couple of years, Marvel does give Kane an interesting story. Like, I honestly could see Juggernaut almost carrying his own series for a while if they would just give certain writers the chance to do it because the whole gem of Sidorak and just... Juggernaut could have his own title, even though I don't like him. So I'm interested. I think he would make sense to put on the Marauders. Oh, that's a thought. A group of X-Men who can't ever really go home for whatever reason, whether it's because they feel unwelcome or it's just not their jam right now. He would never have to worry about stepping foot on Krakoa because he would be hanging with Kate and keeping her company and keeping her safe. And not that Kate needs some, not that Kate needs a man to keep her safe, but Kate could use a bodyguard. She's taking on a particularly frightening role as leader of the Hellfire Trading Company's exploratory team. And I think having someone who's willing to die for Charles's dream, for Charles's sake, protecting Kitty, would be a pretty smart move. Personal. Jonah, I believe we have one last entry in our endless series of news items this week. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Currently, in some of Marvel's microtransactional gotcha games, they're having some X-Men crossover events. In Marvel's Contest of Champions, Longshot and Mojo are making their debut as well as have a special event going on. And in Marvel's Puzzle Quest, Mr. Sinister has an event going on this month. It is pretty astounding that both events are mutant based and that makes me excited even though i really only play one of them having that kind of representation in this game especially two characters i've never heard of and a character that i want everyone to know all about you can figure out which of those is which it makes me like pretty happy because this is how people get to know who characters are they see them in the game they tend to fight well i know i don't enjoy fighting against long shot in contest of champions but that's <laughs> just me yeah they gave him some fucking luck mechanic i hate i hate so much i hate it that fucking luck mechanic but let me tell you mojo's shield is he projects a blurry television set in front of him (laughs) like it's amazing and i want to make a point about the value of these games hey who here as a kid read the infinity crusade the infinity gauntlet and the infinity watch okay great who here had heard of marvel vs. capcom 
Me. I sure have. Me. Which do you think more influenced people's excitement for Endgame? The video game that they recognized the plot of that vaguely contributed to the same story? Or comic that wasn't always in reprint? It's not hard to see how these games influence the next generation of fans. Marvel's been pushing Ileana in these games for years, and now all of a sudden I'm seeing her on the cover of the free comic book day cover this year? I don't know that there have been a whole lot of characters that have had that kind of... It's Ileana, it's Deadpool. And the way those sorts of transformations from minor to major occur starts in these gacha games, starts in the animated series, where they get them in the mindset of the child who's going to grow up a fan. Several years later, that child has disposable income. Well, I know there was that gorgeous Ileana figure that they just did, that Marvel Legends, and there have been a ton of figures before that. So now they're ingraining it into the minds of people with spending capital. The character begins to make significant resurgences in the storylines and the comics, helping to give that character some fandom credibility. Next thing you know, they're appearing in a film like Magic, and now she's leading an X-Men title. It's not hard to see how the marketing team is aware of the effects of these characters on popular culture, especially once they're introduced via home media that children can consume. It is notable to me then that Elsa Bloodstone was propped up in a miniseries last year at a crossover event, appeared in the Gotcha Games, with Dazzler's milestones coming out in March and the recent figures, plus the focus on the Mojoverse in this month's games, I actually do think it's kind of reasonable to say that the X-Men are being poised for a new wave of classic character takeover, a sudden realization for an interest in characters that no one had noticed before, a la Magic, a la Longshot. Marvel, if you're listening to this, let me add Elsa to Savage Avengers. She would be a great fit. She would also be a great fit for Strange Academy because why wouldn't magic users need to have lessons on monsters? I 1000% agree with that. Before we move on, I wanted to mention one other tidbit. The past couple of weeks of X-Men titles and I think other Marvel titles as well, at the end of every book that's came out recently, there has been a memorial tribute. So I just wanted to mention that on our show too. There was an inker, his name is Gary Alangulin. He is an inker for Marvel Comics, and he most recently was doing the inks on the X-Men titles with Cho. So he passed away back in December, and that's what has been showing up at the back of X-Men titles for the past couple of weeks. So this week we are covering Marauders number seven. We have Jerry Dugan, the writer. We did have a change in the artist to this book. The number six was by Matteo Lali and Mario Del Panino. This week we have Stefano Caselli as the incoming artist. We have Edgar Delgado as the colorist and VCs Corey Pettit as the letterer. So Regina, you hit on something I didn't even realize. These interiors being by Stefano Caselli represent a decade of transformation for an artist who I would have never recognized these pencils until you said this was not Lolly's work I hadn't even recognized there was a transition. Stefano Caselli came into his work on Marvel as part of that super Italian-Spanish infusion that came over via Marvel and Vertigo in the mid to late aughts and then continued early on in the 2010s and to hear and see how far this guy has come I am so impressed also Jumbo Carnation forever this is the Jumbo Carnation issue. Jumbo Carnation, Jumbo Carnation. All I want to do is talk about Jumbo Carnation. I think he <laughs> appeared more in this issue than he ever did in all of New X-Men. And 
I need him and Emma Frost to host Project Runway. Would Bobby be a guest judge on that show, too? <laughs> I think he's the permanent guest judge. He's the Michael Kors, only he's not as cold. Uh. <laughs> he doesn't call everyone a stripper. You know, Marvel <laughs> used to do those swimsuit specials. Oh, my God, those swimsuit specials. Right, and they could do one for Project Runway. That would be fantastic. I'm so into this now. I like actually think that'd be kind of a cute tie-in product. Marvel, reach out to Bravo. I can put you in touch with the people you need to be in touch with by like knowing their names, not like by being good friends with them. But <laughs> Christian, since you're listening, I have been in love with you since I'm 20 years old, and I look forward to our inevitable friendship. So Friend of the Christian, pod, Christian, give me a call. Friend of the pod, Christian Siriano. God of the pod, Christian Siriano. So in all seriousness, I thought Marauders was more of that great biting power that drove number six. It kind of like Dugan needed a minute to find his footing. But now that he has, I'm thrilled. I'm surprised. And I'm a little taken off guard because there's times I'm literally able to completely suspend and forget that this is by, if I'm not mistaken, a straight white man. Really? There are times I am completely able to forget that this is written by a straight white man. Because his ability to move in and out of the code, honest and real, to members of smaller protected groups is really beautiful. Looking up that he is a 70-year-old straight married white man, I am blown away by his ability to connect with his audience, transcend age, gender, and stereotype of who I would believe him to be. Like, this is work that connects to me, and I really genuinely love this. Like you just said, Nico... From Emma to Callisto to one of my favorite parts that just ties into the reason it was one of my favorite parts is that a writer can go from Emma talking about her fashion and everything with Callisto and then go straight into Bishop in his full-on military mode, knowing how to get exactly right through a Madripoor portal and take out the guards that are there. This book is all over the place and in such great fashion. Pun. And let's talk about the fashion. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that was just a setup. I didn't have more. That was just a setup for a joke. <laughs> well, I know nothing about fashion. <laughs> but this, oh my gosh. Okay. So when I started reading this book, first of all, Callisto's on the cover. And of course, I love her. But I'm reading this book. And this was just such an amazing book as far as there was just so much girl power in this book. Like, there's no women being catty with each other. They're very empowering. They're supporting each other. The interplay between Emma and Callisto was amazing. Callisto ripping up that <laughs> really expensive jacket to fit her own style was classic Callisto. And in a lovable way. It wasn't treated as, look at this woman. She's being unreasonable to get her. No, this is just who I am. And if what you want is me, come get me. Oh my God, it was so good. Right. So and good. And Jumbo's fangirling over her was fantastic. <laughs> so I really did enjoy that part. He fangirls her the way we fangirl him. Exactly. So it was just, I mean, just from start to finish, it, it just, it was so refreshing and I loved it. I also wanted to point out that I just really love that we are getting to see Callisto back when Dawn of X titles started and we got to see who the secret council of 12 was. I was, I think, kind of throwing a one-man protest that Callisto wasn't on this council because Callisto has been leading her own nation of mutants in the Morlock tunnels for decades and she didn't get a seat at the table, but I am happy to see that she is a part of the Hellfire 
Fire Club as a white knight. Callisto was the addition to the cast that I've been hoping for since the beginning. So actually seeing her join Emma's team really made me happy. And just seeing all of the interactions with the people that she's dealt with in the past, it's, it's just been really wonderful in this issue. I love Jumbo Carnation. Jumbo Carnation is everything. Jumbo Carnation is wonderful, has possibly the worst mutant power out there. I actually feel bad for him, but I love how much he's just a fashion designer. That doesn't make too much sense, but it does. I just love how much. Something that I actually did really appreciate about this issue was what seems more like a defined relationship between Bobby and Christian. And I thought that Kiss was a very tasteful and sweet form of representation. And I use that specifically because if you listen to the Marvel Incoming episode, I had a bit of a problem with the way that they portrayed Billy and Teddy. Here, this seemed like much more of a natural scene. And I was much more happy with the way that these two were represented for gay and LGBT representation than Billy and Teddy were. So that was something of note that I really would like to applaud the creative team for doing. I am a bit upset that Emma didn't right away know that Kitty's in trouble, but obviously that can't happen because story reasons why, but I just think Emma is just too badass and too powerful and too amazing to not know Sebastian's just being a tricky little trick and... A tricky little thoughtless thought. He is a tricky little thoughtless thought. He doesn't think. And I am just counting down the days till we get to the Marauders number that Sebastian sees his comeuppets. And come up it shall. (laughs) So there's a scene where Callisto and Storm meet each other and Callisto throws a knife in her face and then they hug. And I just loved that so much. (laughs) (laughs) That was such an amazing, weird and beautiful panel. (laughs) And then Jumbo was like, I got a knife, I got a knife. And then at the end, Bishop has, you know, he's switched to military mode and he's fighting Manuel. And they know, apparently, they have figured out that Krakoa has the kill no man law. And he kind of throws that in Bishop's face. And Bishop is, says, kill no man don't mean fuck no man up. And I was like, yes! <laughs> Manuel, along with the other Hellfire brats, are, I'm pretty sure, teenage age. So to see Bishop headbutt and break Manuel's nose is pretty hilarious. (laughs) It is it is pretty much, it's one of those things like he's basically, he's a cop and he's like, come here little kid. It's like police brutality, but in a way that I'm weirdly okay with. Hominus Verandi has not sold the information they've procured yet. It has, they are working on a deal currently with Russia, but that information that they have hasn't been sold yet. And I think that's a very important distinction because I don't think it's going to get sold. I think they're going to get found out and caught before they get the chance to. And I can't wait for it. When we talked about Marauders last time, the awfulness that happened at the end of the last issue with Shaw putting Lockheed in a fishnet and throwing him in the ocean. At the end of this issue, we see Lockheed found by some fishermen, and it is not really known if Lockheed has survived or not. The person, the book ends with the fisherman saying, I think he's dead, so I don't... Well, I mean, but it's a dragon, and how many fishermen have, like, expansive dragon anatomy knowledge? But I also don't think that if Lockheed dies, he won't be replaced by, like, Tesla SpaceX heed. And I think that would be the new baby dragon. Maybe that's the thing that they said is coming that's so cute you're going to forget Baby Yoda exists. Okay, yeah, right. <laughs> well, I mean, doesn't Lockheed have five lungs, though? I believe you, but then we're going to change his name to Lungheed. <laughs> <laughs> 
I went back and I read it a couple of times, but there was so much happening. Like every page just had something that was meaningful on it. So right before we see Lockheed, there's a moment between Callisto and Mask where they're living in Arizona on this golfing resort. And Mask asks her, do you take any offense to Kitty using the name Marauder? And Callisto acknowledges, you know, that Kitty's experience with the Marauders was not great. And she says, let her have that, you know? And I thought that was, again, so much girl power in <laughs> this book. I, I love this book. Both X-Books reference the fallout of the mutant massacre directly this week. Huh. Them referencing Kitty's time with the Marauders, and that is a reference to the mutant massacre, which left Kitty trapped in her phase form for a year of her time couple of years of publishing time and then that's brought up a ton in the other book we covered this week fantastic four and x-men number one. Oh, yes i did notice that i thought that was pretty interesting as well speaking of the mutant massacre and the fallout from that we are going to jump to x-men and fantastic four number one we have chip zardsky as the writer terry dodson on pencils and rachel dodson as the inker we have some inker assistants as well dexter vines and carl story, Laura Martin as the colorist, and VCs Joe Caramagna as the letterer. I love seeing the Dodsons on a book. There's nobody who sells me on cheesecake and beefcake in equal parts. Like, I feel like, without knocking anyone, just to refer to them by style, the cheesecake of Greg Horn doesn't always capture men quite the same way it captures women in such beautiful, illustrious detail. And in an effort to keep them feminine, I often feel someone like a John Byrne loses some of the strength he could give to women. But there's something about when Terry and Rachel get together on a figure that, whether it's male or female, it is a Victoria's Secret underwear model. And whether you spend the night together you just go dancing or you play Mealborn all night at a Panera. You're going to have a great night. <laughs> I completely agree. I have loved the Dotsons forever, it seems like. But I was first introduced to them when they were the cover and interior artist on Generation X years ago. And there's even been times where I will buy random Marvel or DC comics if I know that they are the cover and interior artist because I just absolutely love their style. Like Nico said, they make women and men so beautifully. A lot of times when it comes to some artists, not all, some artists just seem to be either really good at just women and not men or just men and not women. And these two make beautiful men and women. And yeah, like Nico said, the men are a bit beefy and the women actually have women figures. So yeah, that's another reason I like them. Jonah, I was so happy to have you finally get to a Dodson title. Now, the art here kind of elevates it by virtue of that haloing effect, that wide, warm energy that radiates off of the figures. And I think in many ways, that cheesecakey beefcakiness kind of made this story a little tough for me at times because I felt as though Reed, Franklin, and for instance, Johnny and Kitty, I felt like all four of them looked the same age with slightly different hair color. How did you feel? Well, I was reading this i never thought the art was bad in any way but there were like certain artistic choices that i didn't fully understand reed came off a little bit younger than i kind of expected to see him drawn and i was in love with the way i saw him in house of x number one and here he kind of looks less like the really scruff hot daddy type and more like a 20 something pretending to be a daddy so there's that he had scruff daddy syndrome more like fuzz daddy <laughs> 
I don't think the art was really missing anything except for more distinguishing characteristics for their characters. You shouldn't be able to swap hair and a costume on a character and they look exactly the same. That's a little bit like taking a quicker route. I do want to say that there was a few times in the book that I was a little confused by uniforms that we had certain characters in. The beginning of the book, we get to see Magneto with Xavier and he's in a suit that Magneto has not worn in years. It is the all-purple suit that has no sleeves and has a giant M on the chest. His the issue 200 Secret Wars 2 era costume, right? Yes. And then later on in the book, we get to see, yet again, in just one panel, Xavier is talking to Cyclops, and Cyclops is in a, like, junior recruit kitty New Mutants yellow and blue uniform that I feel like Scott has never worn, and it was just really weird, even though it was just one tiny little panel, but... Still, I I was just a little upset about the fact that we saw these suits on these two characters that we've never seen before. But then throughout the rest of the book, Magneto is in his standard newer white uniform. I wish the rest of the story had been as dynamic and conversation generating as our discussion of the art was. Because for my sake, I felt there was literally nothing in this that was not already in House of X that could not have been accomplished by four pages of Kitty and Franklin talking. Feel like after school 90s special to you? Oh, yeah. Yes. It was very cartoon all-stars to the rescue. Yeah. There was one thing that I wanted to uh, point out. This is yet another instance of a mutant's powers not working properly. Oh, yeah. So this is, what, three now that we've had issues with? With uh, Black Tom, Richter before Apocalypse got his hands on him, and now Franklin. And I think we said that a psychic somewhere along the line was having trouble. Oh, yeah, you're right. Huh. I wonder if, like, Krakoa sharing everybody's powers or something is doing weird damage. Well, isn't Franklin already kind of a special case about this since every time he's used his powers in the past, they've already depleted and it's just a weird thing in general? Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. The most important phrase you will ever hear in your entire life. Isn't Franklin Richards just a special case anyway? (laughs) I would trade my right nut to give up half of the Franklin stories for half more Valeria stories any day. I love Franklin, but magical boy savior stories have been done post-Franklin in ways that are probably a little bit better. I don't think I get enough scary, sassy little girl. I want more scary, sassy little girl. Valeria. Valeria, get inhumanized. Yeah. Or we could hit you with gamma radiation and you could hang out with Amadeus Cho and you could be like, you know, ooh, you could be the new Brainiac, but or you could be like super nerd or like whatever you want. But I would trade- Big brain. Big brain. I would love to trade a bunch of Franklin stories for more Valeria. If this was about Valeria, I would have loved it. Wouldn't it be a gag if Valeria was also a mutant? I would love if Valeria was also a mutant. I don't care if her power is... No, it's that she's a mutant. What do you mean? No, that's her power. Her power is that if you test her genetic code, it's going to come up that she's a mutant. But then what's her mutation? That. That's not an ability. Yes, it is. Hey, look, one time Husk turned into a bird, okay? It just wasn't that deep. It was a very, it felt very superficial. Like you're just kind of watching this typical suburban family drama with superpowers. And it was okay. Um, it just didn't grab me. I think the, the part that resonated with me most was Sue trying to protect her son in a very loving mom way. And Reed is always such a dick. <laughs> 
He's always putting science before his family. Like that's like the sh- that's like his like staple. Right, that's his thing. And I didn't feel like it brought anything really new to the table. It just made me annoyed with Magneto and his mutants or gods. I'm just like, shut it up already. I've heard it before. Yeah, that boy, fix your helmet. (laughs) And that every time Magneto says that, it just makes me really get really a little anti-Krakoa. Like we've tried segregation before and it didn't work. (laughs) But other than that, that was that was pretty much all I got out of it. It definitely felt like it was setting up for the rest of this miniseries because it's it's just stuff that we already revisited during Hoxpox. So hopefully the... And we don't need Hoxpox Redox. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like, just like Kyle said... Hopefully, I mean, we all remember that House of X and Powers of Ten did slightly have a slow start. So I feel like since this is um, this has four issues, right? Maybe this first issue just needs to reset everyone up. Maybe there's people that don't read X-Men books, but they only read Fantastic Four books. So they got this book and they don't know what's happening with Krakoa and all of that. So this is just a book to set up Fantastic Four fans that might not know. And then issues two, three, and four will hopefully be great. That's a really great point. I hadn't considered it that way. With the Fantastic Four, there's one book to come into. So we got everything we needed to understand the the Fantastic Four status quo in about two pages. But the Fantastic Four fans are coming into 14 monthly titles. They might need a few more pages. I just wish they had said, X-Men fans, don't buy this one. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to say, though, on the same note, for X-Men fans that might not be reading any other Marvel books, I mean... You would have to really live under a rock if you didn't know that Reed Richards was one of the smartest men in the world. But I do like the fact that they had Kitty state that Charles was trying to convince her or that they were going to be trying to convince one of the world's smartest men and one of the world's most powerful women that their teenage son was better off away from them. I'm glad that they pointed that out because in Marvel Comics, Sue is one of the most powerful characters. She's not Omega level like certain mutants are, but she's one of the most powerful characters in the Marvel Universe, and I'm just glad that they pointed that out. You know, I've often said that there's a weird connection between Invisible Woman and the Hulk, because the most famous battle in the Marvel Universe is always who would win the Invisible Woman or the Hulk. It's a huge thing, because Invisible Woman has held an entire Latvian army back. She's pretty impressive when she needs to be, and... I was talking about it with someone and I said, I guess if it's Invisible Woman versus the Hulk, it comes down to who's feeling more intensely because the Hulk is limited by his rage. But I really do feel like Sue is only limited by her level of compassion. And Sue will always find a way. She's as smart as Reed is, just not in the same fields. And if anybody walks away from anything thinking that Sue would not be able to give Storm a run for her money, Sue would not be like, you, you have to accept Sue is in that upper echelon and you're right. Okay. I'm walking away from this, a bigger fan of the issue than I thought. Everybody had great points. I'm a big Zardsky fan. So I was already in anyway, but guys, thanks for bringing me around on it. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Our pleasure.
We've had an exciting week here on Krakoa, and we've talked a little bit about schedule changes. We've talked about some new books, and I think the main thing I'm walking away from this week with is they're trying their best to harken back to classic eras that maybe didn't get the same spotlight as the tent poles. When House of X started, they based it on these tent poles. They said Giant Size X-Men number one, Jim Lee and Chris Claremont's X-Men number one. They said Age of Apocalypse and New X-Men. Those were the points they used, but as we noted this week, they pointed a lot to the Mutant Massacre. With Giant Size X-Men bringing Nightcrawler and now Phantom X in, they're doing their best to cover a breadth of fans and fandom in the X-Men. But we've got one giant size left. I would kind of love to know from everybody, what X-Man that hasn't appeared in the House of X, Dawn of X era? I mean, you know, one panel somewhere? Like, Monet would count for this, obviously. <laughs> Who hasn't appeared that you would love to see get that last giant size spotlight? Well, it would have to be Monet. <laughs> Martha. <laughs> you know what? I'm not messing with you anymore. <laughs> I have to imagine this is kind of difficult for you, Dylan, with so many of your favorite characters not getting the treatment they deserve. The question of Warpath or, Mor- or Mornay. Mornay. <laughs> Her name is Mornay because we're mourning her because yeah. she might be lost. I want to combine Monet and Warpath into one name. Morpath St. Croix. Morpath St. Croix. It is pretty difficult for me. I, I mean, just like we discussed, I feel like if Monet is one of Hickman's favorites, why isn't she getting a spot? And yes, I know you said that OP characters are just so difficult sometimes to write but I feel like you could if you are a Monet fan and know her tragic and most convoluted history I feel like you could almost write a Monet book without even showcasing any of her powers oh that's brilliant Monet is like a secret agent who can't trip a mutant sensor I love that right and but then on on the other hand like you said I have other favorites like Warpath and then there's also Shatterstar but I feel like Warpath would be a good choice too. You could showcase Warpath getting to be with his brother, who I'm assuming would have been resurrected by now. He was one of the first mutants in comic history to pass away, and now. And he'd been on Krakoa. Yeah, and he would oh. be brought back into this world where the last thing Thunderbird knew was that he left his tribe and they were completely fine. And now he's back in this world where literally the only person that is still alive from his tribe and reservation is his brother. Everyone else is dead. There's an entire story right there. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking, but yes, Warpath, Monet, they should take that last spot. So my choice, I imagine, is going to get booed, and I'm okay with that. It's a little controversial. I swear to God, if you say dupe, I am quitting the show. (laughs) Okay, so he's in it, but that's not who I was going to say. I need to know how Dead Girl feels about all of this. She is, without a doubt, unarguably Phoenix-level powerful. Dead Girl would really make Jean Grey look like a chump. Like, seriously. And you know what a Jean fan I am. But Dead Girl can, like, command the force of death itself. And that is kind of exactly the same thing the Phoenix can do, if you think about it. But I've never seen Dead Girl get tired. And Dead Girl's responsibilities include making sure death doesn't break. The rest of her kind just broke death. 
I really, really, really need to know what my precious dead girl thinks about the fact that the people she trusted the most to keep the legacy of mutants alive while she rested have violated the other side of her cultural legacy. And Dupe would be her best friend and drive the motorcycle. That's a really interesting thought. I would enjoy every part of that except for Dupe. (laughs) Well, the Dupe is on you, Dylan. (laughs) Dwenneth Paltrow's company, Dupe. So, so far, we have only seen Dazzler in the party scenes. I would love to have a giant-sized book of Dazzler go on an adventure and bring in Longshot and, you know what, maybe just tackle the Mojoverse. Or I would totally agree with this and let Dazzler and Longshot actually talk to the son that they have, Shatterstar. Oh. (laughs) Anyway, that's just my thoughts. Well, they work so hard to keep that cagey. That's one of those things in continuity, much like Lorna, Pietro, and Wanda's parentage, that's becoming more and more difficult to decode with each writer that redetermines the quality of the previous retcon. Especially when you're playing around with the constructs of a character's identity. It gets so difficult. I mean, okay, so Shatterstar might have parents, but Shatterstar's not currently living in Shatterstar's body. He's currently living in the body of a dude named Benjamin Russell. So it gets so difficult to come up with us yeah yeah it's, thanks the 90s it's, it's a mess kyle and it's also why shatterstar should probably take that last giant size spot too to fix everything okay <laughs> okay but i am really gonna push shatterstar and dead girl sharing a book together because that sounds to me like the best bosom buddies book i can possibly and they can call it death star Ooh, i was gonna call it young gay and dead but i like <laughs> death star too <laughs> Young, dumb, and full of death. Young, dumb, and full of death. Holy shit, get me off of this show. My first hope for the spot would be, weirdly enough, Black Tom. I specifically want to know more on what's going on with Black Tom and his mentality, because he seems to be becoming less of a person and more of Black Tom. And it's a weird, slow descent into the line of madness and mental illness that really should be explored and not uh, left alone. My other suggestion for that spot is Mystique. Where is Mystique being pissed that Destiny hasn't been resurrected yet? Why hasn't that been a conflict? The only reason Mystique is even on Krakoa right now is because she was specifically promised that Destiny would come back. And yet she just seems fine just doing bullshit nothing. No! Give me my lesbian moms! (laughs) I'm sorry, I got really distracted because I thought you referred to her as Mesquite for a moment. (laughs) So Kyle, yes, Kyle, I'm gonna kick it on over to you so you can tell us what comics we got coming out. I'm so tired. Just tell us about the book. Okay. So next week we have Excalibur number seven, which uh, has two covers: X Force number seven, X Men number six, which also has two covers, and Savage Avengers number ten. For trades, we have the very first volume of Dawn of X and Marvel Tales Wolverine, which covers Uncanny X Men one sixty two, X Men number four, and X Men number twenty five. Finally, we have a facsimile edition of Wolverine number one. But until next time, you can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at Drantis82. Dylan, where can everybody find you? 
Everybody can find me on Facebook at my X-Men Facebook group that Regina helps me moderate. That is called House of X. Or you can find me on Instagram at Warpath underscore Dylan. That is Warpath underscore D-Y-L-A-N. Regina, where can everybody find you? You can find me on Twitter at the Red Queen underscore G or on Instagram at the Red Queen underscore on underscore IG. Jonah, where can everybody find you? Find me yelling at my father for making a choice for me and going, You don't know me, Dad! It's hard being a mutant, Dad! When I was a kid, I had to get my powers, my own self, I had to get gamma radiated two million miles into space by myself with just me and your mom and your uncle and your other uncle by ourselves, our own gamma radiation. You kids don't know what it was like. You were born into mutant abilities. You were just handed them to you. I didn't say that correctly, but the effect is still the same. Or you can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at Peak Jonah. Nico, where can everybody find you? As always, you guys can find me all over this great network on shows like HTML and X's for Podcast. Don't forget to check me out on Instagram at NicoAction, N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, or our archives at X's for Podcast, and we are Krakoa.com. And until next time, we'll see you. See ya. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Yay. Yay.